0: Hello, Debbie, also known as the Data Diva. It is wonderful to have you here with us today. I'm Dr. Dede Tetsubayashi. I'm CEO and founder of Inclu, and this is another episode of the Brave Spaces Roundtable.
1: Oh, it's such a pleasure to be on, on your show, Doctor. I really appreciate the call and happy to get to know your audience.
0: Thank you so much, and welcome. We are very excited to have you join us today, and we're looking forward to today's taping. Okay, so today I we want to talk about data. I just want to give a little bit introduction to who I am. I'm a social scientist and technologist who's built an expertise in product equity and inclusion accessibility over the last 21 years. And I am very excited today to have you on the show and would love to hear a little bit more about you and your work and what brings you to data.
1: Sure. Thank you so much. So, I'm Debbie Reynolds. They call me the Data Diva. I'm the founder, CEO, and Chief Data Privacy Officer of Debbie Reynolds Consulting. I work at the intersection of of privacy sort of law and regulation globally and technology. So, I'm a technologist by trade, but I get involved in many different different things as it relates to data and and the rights of people. So, I work a lot with organizations that are doing like digital transformation, like they're moving into new data spaces. I like to work a lot with emerging technology. So things like robotics, satellites, the metaverse, you know, all types of wacky things that people are doing. So I try to stay on top of all the stuff that people try to do. You know, I love technology, but I don't love everything that people try to do with technology. So that's my thing. I hear you on that.
0: I hear you on that. All the wacky things. Please tell us a little bit more about what counts as wacky and what's especially important to what we're trying to do with technology and data that brings you to this work.
1: Yeah. Let's say you were in a study, like a medical study or something. And someone took your picture and you you, know, you sign all these releases, you know, you sign all these forms like, okay, it's only for that. And then your your image somehow ended up in a public data set that's being used by AI to create other images, you know, derivative Im- images on the internet. And you're like, you know, what happened? What happened to like my data? What happened to my rights? Right. And then the U.S. because we have so many, a lot of our laws are very consumer based. You know, if you're not a consumer, you know, that company's like, well, we don't know where we got the data from. You're not our customer, so we don't have any obligation to you. And You know, that's that's some of the, the problematic things that we have. But I mean, you know, we have, you know, on the wacky side, in my view, you know, people wanted to create, you know, real estate, property in the metaverse, you know, having people in the metaverse have rights in the meta, you know, what people call like immersive rights. So, you know, if you're in the metaverse and what slaps you, like, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to do or whatever, right? So a lot of those issues just haven't been sorted out on a legal front. So I like to work with companies on standards around that. And then I also very much deeply into things like smart cities and IoT technologies, so things like you know connected cars traffic systems almost anything that you do where you're walking past a sensor you know you're doing things with smart speakers those are things that i end up working with
0: fabulous thank you so much for sharing as we are entering or maybe even now fully immersed in the, the, the fourth industrial revolution. And for us, it's really important to, to think about what does it mean to build inclusively? What does it mean to build for equitable outcomes? And how do we actually think about what social impacts and social justice look like at the intersection of product development, design, and so on and so forth? and you brought up of course like ai and ml facial recognition the metaverse and like what rights can a person actually have over their information especially in a place like the metaverse that is not a place right it is right. it is in the cloud and it's it's a it's a virtual arena where we do still have ability to recognize who individuals are to a certain degree i'd love to hear more about What ways has your trajectory changed to keep up with these types of technological design advancements? And for example, like what would you say, or how do you stay on top of the needs and demands for data privacy and security as we're facing new and unforeseen challenges about how to continue to include data privacy and security and protecting our information in these new environments?
1: Yeah, I try to take a human centric approach, you know, thinking of myself, right? Like, what would I like or what would I think was reasonable? And then also, you know, the technology always outpaces the laws. And as we're seeing emerging technology, they're getting farther and farther ahead of kind of laws and regulations. So, you know, a lot of times I'm studying you know, data systems or things that are happening or emerging in data. And people ask me about it, like I'll talk about it, like this happens a lot. So let's say something I was talking about two years ago. Now it like, you know, they had a lawsuit about it recently. And I, you know, I, a lot of times like, okay, here's a video I did about that two years ago. Cause I'm way far ahead, like looking to see what's happening and then imagining to myself, like you know what could be the legal implications or what could be the human problems in that because i feel like you know the future will not be like the past so looking in the rearview mirror is not going to help us in these new spaces and so also i think that we need a new way to think about problems where I don't think the type of problems that we'll have in the future as a result of a lot of emerging technologies, you know, there will be no, in my opinion, adequate legal redress for the problems that we're going to end up having in the future, right? So, you know, the, 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 the harm to individuals can be catastrophic, and I don't think that a law can really help in that regard. So I do, you know, I think regulation is good, but I think when you, you know, regulation isn't the, it isn't the magic pill to be able to solve some of these issues. So, you know, for example, let's say someone is in a school situation, a person of color, they're on a like Zoom call or something like that. With a teacher, the software because it can't really identify the person, may say, "Hey, this person isn't paying attention or whatever," you know. This and maybe this that, that individual gets like low marks. You know, they feel okay. This person isn't like holding up with everyone else. So then they put they put that person as a result of those kind of AI things on maybe a slower track where they don't get the same opportunities. They don't get the same classes, you know, they, they can't, you know, they're not on the Harvard track anymore. They're on, you know, maybe you go to a community college track. And so what is the redress for that? (laughs) You know, something that has happened in the past that creates this sort of systemic level of inequality that, that just snowballs on itself. You know, I don't think that there will be, you know, that could be, you know, devastating to someone. You can't really change, you know, I don't think, you know, a lawsuit is going to change that for someone, you know.
0: That's a really interesting point that you make. If a lawsuit isn't going to change the situation, especially in addressing systemic injustices for someone, how do we then think about how to use history? How do we learn from history and how do we use historical data points to think in a future foresighted manner and try to prevent harms before they happen or mitigate them? Or like what, what would you say
1: would be a better approach? I think it has to, it comes down to design, but not only design, but also how people are using it. Right. So, you know, like, let's say a brick is used to, to to build houses, but you can also take a brick and harm someone with it, right? So I'm not saying outlaw bricks. I'm saying let's figure out what's the best use for it. Let's think about the harm and let's try to find ways to build things into the system, whether that's AI audits or whether that is, you know, doing privacy by design. That's something I work with companies on. You know, like, hey, you know, this is a problem with this AI system. You know, if you you know, especially when you're talking about high stakes situations that can harm people. So for me, a lot of AI systems, like I don't think that AI systems should be used in, you know, things where, OK, you're going to say, oh, I think this person committed a murder because the AI system thinks they look like X. Like, to me, that's not the way you should be using AI, right? So I think it should be used for more lower stakes things. And then I also think that, you know, humans can't abdicate, ab- abdicate their human judgment and their human responsibility to a machine or to AI. So that's not what it's made for. It can never be as intelligent as a human. I don't care who says what, right? You know, I'm thinking about uh, like an example. Let's say you know, this happened a few months ago, whereas two two guys in Tesla, they got that, you know, they're supposed to be in the driver's seat. They have a self-driving mode, right? So those two guys got out of the driver's seat. I think they were like in the back seat of the car and it like ran into a tree and blew up. Okay, so... That's, to me, that's what I feel like people are trying to do with AI. If you're trying to say, okay, AI is smart enough to think for me as a human, and it isn't. It has its own rules, but you have to be in the driver's seat. Humans should make the final judgment, and we shouldn't advocate our, our human judgment and thought to a machine or to AI.
0: I really like that example that you gave in, in comparing where AI and ML technology is today. As you said, like a lot of people do think it's more advanced than a human is. And I always advise caution because for me, it is something that we have created and invented. The way that I usually describe it is that it's it's like a two-year-old child. It still needs guidance. It needs guardrails. It needs to be taught how to make certain decisions, but AI is not, it's never, it's, it's not a true intelligence. It is, it is a very, it's, it's, it's a mathematical process, right? And right. it's it's determining out of this historical bunch of information that you've given me, what is the probability that I can say that this thing that is occurring within this large data set is potentially can I say this is a cat? Not right. can I actually drive you and your friend in a in a hands free manner at the moment? That's not a feature that is part of any self driving car or or autonomous vehicle. Let's say that because there isn't a true self driving feature available yet. Right. There could be in the future. Right, we're nowhere near that type of maturity at this moment.
1: Absolutely. And I don't think we ever we ever should be, right? I saw there was a a, a case where this guy got arrested because someone said this facial recognition thing looked like this guy. And I saw the two pictures and there were some similarities in the people's facial features. I don't know, maybe people think all Black people look alike, but like if you had eyeballs in your head, you could tell that these were not the same people, right? So <laughs> yes. it's like if... If you think if someone thought that that was accurate enough to actually, which they actually arrested this person, right? And actually, they went to the to the judge, and the judge looked at the evidence, the picture. He said, "This is not the same person. Like, why did you even bring this person here?" But one of the judge said, "Hey, I think this. You know, AI said that's the same person. This is the person. You don't have no no other." corroborating evidence who said what an AI system spit out and you know there as you know with the databases you know like if you let's say let's say you search for something on Google and it didn't it no result came up you would be like well Google sucks right? So we no matter what you search for, they're going to give you a result, whether it's good or not, because they want you to continue to use it. So when you do a Google search and it says, oh, we got a million hits in three seconds, like there aren't a million hits for what you look for. They're probably, you know, five or 10, maybe like if you went 100 pages in, you're like, what? Why did this come up? You know, because they want you to use a system. So they're using those same systems and transferring over to things like facial recognition databases. So. They don't want the facial recognition to come back with nothing, so they're gonna throw something up there, right? Like, oh, this is whatever. No, well, the computer told us that this is this guy, so we're gonna go arrest him and then let the chips fall where they may. And that's like the wrong way to use data, and that's mm-hmm. the wrong way to to be able to think about data systems. You know, to, to me, that's like they, you know, did, being digitally illiterate, in my opinion.
0: Hmm. Digitally illiterate. I like that. So in in your experience, what are some of the challenges that you face or that you have faced as a thought leader in data privacy and data security, and moreover, with intersecting identities as a Black and woman thought
1: leader in the field? Challenges. Let's see. Let's see. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm sure I should have a good answer for this. I don't know. I'm just Debbie and I do my thing. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm running my own race. So I'm not like really challenging or not really, you know, getting in other people's way. One thing that I think is very interesting is a lot of times, like I've been in data for, you know, well over 20 years. Right. So a lot of times when people talk about privacy, they think sort of legal legal hat and then when they when I when I'm on lists or something about privacy I'm almost always the only tech person like so the majority of people are lawyers but lo- uh, you know a lot of lawyers don't have 20 plus years of experience in data right <laughs> so so I think that's very different and then just being you know having had a long career in corporate America you know I was almost always the only woman or the only black person or the only person of color and, you know, in a lot of spaces. So I visited a relative of my, my boyfriend who's Jewish and she was saying, you know, she was asking me, so how do you deal with being in all these spaces with, you know, all these white folks or whatever. Sorry. that's just the way it's been, you know, I hadn't really thought about it because it's just, <laughs> that's the way it is. But I want to see, you know, I always reach out to people of color, and I want to see more diverse people because, you know, my my thing is if you don't have different perspective, you can't really get a rich solution. So if you, like I say, let's say I, I had 10 people, I gave them all cameras, told them to take pictures of the same thing, that everyone will have different pictures, right? They're taking a picture of the same object, but they have a different perspective. So if you have people who have the same you know, came from the same place, look the same, talk the same, have the same experience. They're going to have a very narrow point of view. And especially when we're dealing with human problems, you know, all humans need to be involved. Can't just be, you know, Ivy League white humans, you know, or something like that. So we need, you know, we have human problems and we need all people from all walks of life, all Types of industries, you know, like I very much advocate to have people, people in engineering who are interested in privacy, people who, have, you know, like you, like who are, you know, have some social science background and in, in in data. So all data people, I think, should be have some involvement because this ultimately impacts all of us as humans. Agreed,
0: agreed. And it's interesting that you you separate when you're in environments where we talk about privacy, because you're right, a lot of people automatically assume legal privacy. They don't assume information privacy or data privacy and the connections between them. But for, for those of us who are in tech, we know how closely they go hand in hand. And we also know The constraints, the tensions that we can sometimes face when trying to work with teams that don't have the representation of all the folks that they're trying to reach, or even that they should be trying to reach if we don't have that representation. How do you then make sure that you're building or taking photos from holistic perspectives so that everyone can see all of the different angles and everything that should be represented in, in that image. And one of the ways, of course, that I think is best to address that is thinking about the design phase, especially when it comes to product and making sure that there's representation for all the different functional areas in addition to the communities of people that we're trying to work with. Without that relationship, without those trusts across functional areas, like I can't be a good product manager if I don't have a strong partner in user experience research to make sure I actually know what it is that I'm building and that I'm building it for the right type of folks. I can't build anything if I don't have a strong engineering team. Engineering team can't build anything if they don't know what the customer at the end of the day needs or wants. And privacy, data, security are all important to them, right? So we need to make sure that data folks legal, whether or whether it's legal data, whether that's data privacy focus or whether it's legal privacy focus we need to make sure that we're all involved in some manner. So I really like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We need to break down those walls and those silos because the problems that we have going forward, we're going to need a multidisciplinary team of people that are diverse to be able to solve human problems.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and if in your more than 20 years of working in corporate, you usually are the one and only. What does that say about what it is that we're thinking about when we're trying to build for a future where (laughs) we don't know what is going to be happening like societally and we need to be preparing for the eventuality that all of our information, for example, might be available virtually. What does that mean? That's right. And how do we protect each other from just Absolutely. giving away all of our information because we do that without realizing we're giving away our information.
1: Well, there's, you know, we aren't, you know, it's complicated, right? It's it, you know, there's psychological manipulation there and the way that these products are built. You know, it's a lot of psychology there. So it's like. You know, you want the cotton candy now, but you don't want to hear that your teeth are going to fall out six months (laughs) from now. Right. So it's like they know that they they, you know, these technologies, they they are addictive and they are designed to be addictive to play on your psychology. The way the humans think, you know, kind of the reward system, almost like a slot machine. And it, it works, unfortunately. But I think that there should be more transparency in what's happening. I think people wouldn't be as thrilled about some of the stuff that's happening if they have more visibility into what's happening. And then also I think that the, the value exchange is very asymmetrical right now. It's like, okay, let me give you these you know, let me give you this free product, but I'm gonna take like all your data and create Like these profiles about you, so other people can discriminate against you. Like, that doesn't seem right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wouldn't give you my data if I knew that you were going to do that. And then, to your point about, you know, just kind of diversity, what we have right now is a situation where people have blinders on, right? So, I tell a story I tell is let's say, let's say you go into a grocery store, you step on that mat that opens the door for you, right? So, the person in front of you, let's say white male, he steps in, the mat opens, right? You or me, we step on the mat and nothing happens. Okay. So it's like, so what happened? So the person in front of you like, well, there's nothing wrong with the mat because when I walk through the door, it just opened. And you're like, wait a minute. If it doesn't open for both of us, there's a problem. Like we need to like have a timeout. So that's, that is the issue that we're facing where, Not everyone is experiencing the same level of harm or the same level of problem. But when we have people who are are trying to build things for the world and people, they need to understand how that impacts everyone, not just them.
0: Mm -hmm. Agreed. And if we're continuing to build from a perspective of the people who do have access or who are able to step on the mat and be recognized or put their hands under the the soap dispenser or the, the what is it? The Sani? Yep, right. Dispenser. And it, it actually does something. It either dispenses soap or it dispenses alcohol. But right. if you have darker toned skin and you step on the mat and the door doesn't open or you don't get any soap, where do you go? Right. Where do you go? Right, that's the problem. The problem. <laughs> and how do you fix it so that as
1: many people are then right. able to actually That's use. Right. That product. That that's right. That's right. If if it doesn't work for everybody, you have to go back to the drawing board. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think governments have a harder time. So governments deal with this this issue a lot because when you're in a government, everybody's your customer, right? So as opposed to, let's say you are an Apple user, so Apple really only cares about who their customers are. They don't care about their non-customers. But in a, in a, a, a governmental type of situation, let's say it's Social Security, like they they have everybody's data, right? So if it isn't, if people can't access their benefits or whatever, they have to find ways to, to connect with people. For example. Not only in digital ways, they're sending things to the mail, you know, they have other, you know, stuff for people who are hearing impaired, you know, ADA type accommodations on websites. So I think taking that as a model and understanding that in some way, in some form... Companies may have multiple different types of users. They need to think about how can I get this product in the hands of many people as possible and, and think about that accessibility.
0: Mm-hmm. And then when you talk about accessibility, I like to encapsulate it all with equity because if we right. don't center the folks who have the most difficult access to whatever products we're building, we're not actually reaching The people who we need to reach the most and we're not reaching their support network, which are three to four to five times more people. And when it comes to product development, we tend to build for that, quote unquote, 80 percent, that middle group in the bell curve rather than the people who are on the edges. And so my focus and Include's focus has been to showcase how to better design with the people with the most difficult access so that you're reaching as many people as possible and as diverse a group as possible, ensuring that you're not only building for people, you're also building for eventual profits, right? That's it has right. has to
1: work that way. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly.
0: <laughs> well, I would love to hear more about your thoughts on automation. You started to touch on them a little bit earlier, but when it comes to automation, machine learning, AI, What does their implementation and advancement mean for the future of data privacy and security? And if you've got some pros and cons for for each, in your opinion, would love to hear that too.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, always having a human-centric focus. You know, a lot of the tools and things that are built today, they're very corporate company focused. Like, okay, we want to do this, X, Y, Z it isn't necessarily putting the person or the human in the center. So let's say you have the best product in the world, you know, people now are ha- getting more rights, right? So they have more of a stake, not only in the product or service that you're serving them, but also how their data is handled. So, you know, we're not going to see a stop. You know, we're gonna, we're actually seeing exponential growth in the use of AI, machine learning, automation. You know, there are, positive ways obviously that you can be able to use that but i think when i think of like ai or machine learning or these other digital systems i think of it as a sword that has that cuts both ways right so a lot of times the focus is only the good stuff you know oh you can do this positive thing or whatever but when that when that sword swings the other way what is the harm Mm -hmm. that happens right so I'm, I'm like all for the rah-rah about what you can do good with something. But then I also want to say companies really need to be looking at the potential harm. And we're seeing, especially Europe, really going after companies on this AI kind of accountability like, you know, so what are you doing with AI? Can you explain what you're doing? You know, what is the, what do you think it's supposed to do? What are the results? You know, where are you getting this data from? So they're asking a lot of questions and I see jurisdictions around the world really picking up on that and saying, hey, we want to be involved. We want to figure out like what's happening with, with data and what, what information. And, you know, hopefully there will be more AI audits as well. So I think the idea is... Definitely, you know, don't be afraid to use use automation or, you know, machine learning or AI, but then think about it as a, not only a force multiplier, but like a sword. Okay. So I would say, you know, people treat AI like it is a teddy bear, but it's actually a grizzly bear. Okay. So if you, someone said they are going to put you in a room with a teddy bear, you're like, oh, okay, great. They said you put you in a room with a a grizzly bear. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I need to think this through. I need to whatever. So as long as we think about it in those ways, we'll be better, put out better products that create less harm for people.
0: Grizzly bear versus teddy bear. Which would you choose?
1: You know, you got to be real. It is a grizzly bear. So, you know, can't be can't be fake. You got to be ready, right? You have to be ready. You have to be prepared. You have to be
0: prepared for what you're doing. Yeah. Yes. And you have to be to to be prepared to actually have a mechanism to derail if things start to go sideways, you need to, to, to figure out ways to, to bring the
1: grizzly back into the center of the room. Right. Away from you
0: maybe <laughs> or to the other side.
1: Um, yeah. I mean to we're gonna have that. we need to have tough conversations. People are gonna be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. We need
1: to you know, we it's gonna get heated, it's mm-hmm. gonna get hot, you know, we gotta But well, that's what is required to be able to do this in a way that doesn't harm people.
0: And part of that means remembering that humans are the the additional touch that's necessary. You can't have complete automation, especially using systems that don't fully understand what it means to be human. It can't make the kinds of decisions or the kind of ethical judgments that humans can make. It can only say A plus B equals C or A plus B equals C to a 70% probability that C equals C. Right or C is C. It might not be C. It it could be like, well, maybe C is B, but I don't know because you fed me some crappy data, and right now you want me to give you some gold or diamonds, and I can't really.
1: Yeah, I saw. I had never seen RoboCop before. Oh, I haven't seen that either. Oh, you have to watch it. So my boyfriend made me see it recently, and he knows I love technology movies, and you know. It is an old movie, but it has some very interesting points about automation and the proper place to be using it. So they have this this machine gun robot, and I guess some they the machine gun robot, if they mark a target, he can, like, you know, take this target out. And something happened, and they were trying to do a demonstration, and they marked this person, and they couldn't undo, you know, the machine. They couldn't stop it, right? So the machine, like, blew, you know. They you know, shot this guy up or whatever. And one of the people who was head of the the, the program, he said, oh, you know, it just needs some tweaks. <laughs> That's the problem that we have. It's like, Terrible. okay, it's going to go and do this. You know, first of all, you built it and then you can't stop it from doing what it's doing because it was built to do that. Right. But then you're like, oh, well, we're going to pretend like this bad thing didn't happen. And let's think, you know, let's tweak it a bit and see, you know, let's keep on going, make this money. So, yeah, that's a problem. It is. And it, it
0: makes me think of how we're already using AI and automation systems in in all areas of life. Like we're using it in our legal system, as you were alluding to earlier not effectively obviously we're using it to determine whether someone is able to get credit cards or housing loans or whether they get insurance to cover you know care things that we really shouldn't be using for it at the moment until we truly understand how we can interrogate how it's making decisions and we don't yet have much understanding on how to do that we well, at least we haven't taught people how to be able to do that so
1: yeah, and what's for what's being forced is more transparency that haven't, you know, mm-hmm. happened before. So mm-hmm. companies that do credit, so like FICA and all that stuff, FIDO or whatever FICA scores and stuff like that. You know, that was already thought, okay, this is our secret sauce and we don't have to tell you how we make these decisions, right? And so what these laws are saying, yeah, you need to tell us. And so I think companies that do that type of rating, they're probably shaking in their boots because they had a lot of time to not be transparent. And Mm -hmm. I think that's going to change in the future. So Mm -hmm. there was a case in Europe is going on where a guy, he tried to apply for like an energy account, you know, like the you know, the lighter gas company or something. And he was denied based on some inquiry to some credit agency in Europe. And the only thing, you know, when they investigated, he filed a case and they investigated and they said the only thing that they knew about this person was their name, the whether they were male or female, and their address. So the court was like, based on that, why would you deny, you know, you didn't have anything about his credit history. Like, what was it about your algorithm that said that he was not Credit worthy without knowing, you know what I'm saying? So I think there are going to be a lot more things like that where you're like, oh, well, we're sorry that we discriminate against, you know, obviously there's a problem in that algorithm. It isn't very transparent because you're really, you know, and, and the court said, you know, the company can't say that this is like a secret sauce type of thing because it could create a true harm for this person down the road, you know.
0: I have a question for you on that, too. Remind me, there's one connected to RoboCop. I want to ask uh-huh. you, versus uh-huh. RoboCop versus Terminator, which do you think is the better representation for where we are in terms of the teddy bear versus the grizzly bear?
1: I've never seen Terminator. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I don't watch that movie, movies. That's why my boyfriend made me watch it. But, but I thought Robocop, it had a message there that people really need to, need to think about. And so it is, again, about the problem of humans abdicating their judgment and responsibility to machines. Mm-hmm. That is the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So I think that they, they, I think they laid that out very clearly what that problem is. And we still are dealing with that today. I would
0: recommend watch maybe the first two terminators, maybe the first three, I don't know. It's the same okay. story, but it's uh-huh. when the, when the robots take over because they are making decisions for humans and their ultimate result to the, the question of who's, who's, or what needs to happen in order to make the planet, you know, do better? Or what what can we do to, to make things better in this world that we live in? Their answer is get rid of the humans because they're, right. <laughs> they're the problem. <laughs> Whereas now we're like, well, you know, they're not going to take over, but maybe they will. Who
1: knows? Yeah, well, they will if we jump into the passenger seat, right? If <laughs> we just let them continue. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and one more question.
0: Do you have do you have any thoughts as to where we are headed? Like if we want to compare, for example, where Europe is right now in dealing with our unpreparedness for data privacy and data security versus the US, do you have hope one way or the other that The U.S. is coming close to Europe, whether Europe is in the lead, whether it's neck to neck.
1: Yeah, Europe is at least 30 years ahead of where we are (laughs) and we'll never be what they are in privacy. It's just not going to happen. So the reason why I say that is because the U.S is very consumer focused on privacy. So a lot of our infrastructure around privacy or the laws that have been created up to this point is very consumer focused, right? Not all humans are consumer, so there are gaps there. Like I'll give you an example. So let's say let's say you were a resident of the state of California California, as you know, has, like, the strongest consumer privacy regulation in the U.S. right now, called the CCPA, Soon to also add the CPRA. But let's say you you go to a grocery store, you're part of their loyalty program or whatever. They have obligations to you about how they have their de- your data and stuff like that. So let's say you walk across the street to a church. And they have data about you also, but they don't have to comply with that law because a lot of those not-for-profit companies are, well, all of them are exempted from having to comply with that law. And you're like, well, what happened? I'm a human, right? Like you're supposed to be protecting me and my rights, but you're not a consumer. So that's the gap that we have that Europe doesn't have because a lot of their rights are human-based. So they're focused on the individual you know, what their rights should be. So until we really bridge that gap, I don't think we'll be anywhere close to where Europe is. We're obviously trying to push more consumer rights and try to make it more broad in terms of how, instead of more sector-specific things. So, like, we have laws around health. We have laws around children's privacy online. We have stuff around finance. There are a lot of things, you know, there's more stuff. There's more data out there. That's why we have problems in the U.S. with data brokers, like people who buy data about people and sell it to other people. Because you can't, the way the laws are built, are built. It's like, okay, you don't even know who this this person is, mm-hmm. like this company is. So, and you're not their customer, quote unquote. So, how can you file suit against them? If you don't know who they are, right? So that is that is a problem. That's a gap that I hope we can bridge in the future. But, you know, I think it just takes time. It's going to take a long time, many years, hopefully working on different levels of this problem to be able to fill those gaps.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And lastly, for our listeners who are looking to learn more about what you do as Data Diva, where might we send them to be able to connect with you to learn more about this very important work?
1: Sure. Well, anyone can connect with me on LinkedIn. Just type in Data Diva, Debbie Reynolds Data Diva. My name will pop right up. I also, I have a website called Debbie Reynolds Consulting.com. I have a lot of videos and other resources, articles, and things that people can look at you know, if you want to get educated on stuff. So a lot I do a lot of like five minute videos about different laws or different technologies. So if anything comes up, you know, around technology or privacy, there's probably a video on my website that you can like look at for five minutes and tells you a bit about it. Thank you so much for sharing.
0: And it's been wonderful having you today.
1: Well, thank you so much. You had great questions. And wow, I really love your show and the things you're doing, because I feel like you're illuminating something that really needs more, more focus. And that's kind of the data side of the equation, not just the legal side. Because I I, well, I say data privacy is a data problem that has legal ramifications it's Mm -hmm. not a legal problem that has data ramifications so when people get that they'll understand how data is kind of the center of everything yes it is at the center of everything i love that thank you so much you're welcome thank you so much for having me on the show
0: please join us again soon
1: i will i will definitely